0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe with me, Tom Sherrington, and Emma Turner. Hello, Emma. Hello, Tom. Have the jet lag? It's actually pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a lot of 3AMs on both sides. Uh, Yeah, so I've been travelling a lot, but um, I can report to my great joy that Mind the Gap has listeners in Maryland, where I've been to research ed and and, and working with Frederick County Public Schools, and also in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane, where I've been as well. So, wow, it's fantastic. So people listening, I'm I'm so glad you listen. And I think I didn't really realise how far our programme reached, but um, I'm delighted. But yeah, the jet lag is crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't quite know I was going to come
0: out of your mouth today, Tom. am <laughs> a little <Yeah>. bit tired. <laughs> no, but it is, it is exciting to meet teachers from around the world. And literally, we, we call it, you know, making education work across the globe. And the fact is that teachers in the US and in Australia have exactly the same issues that we have. And it's brilliant. We're kind of like some—we're a giant global profession, and I absolutely love that about it. So it was, it was absolutely fantastic to meet so many people. Um Aww. And on and a I,
1: slightly less international theme, but nevertheless different theme. We have a lovely guest
0: tonight, don't we? We do. So tonight, Jamie, welcome to Jamie Tom, who's coming all the way from Scotland. <laughs> much more glamorous than Australia, guys. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, it's it's so it's so great to see you. And I actually think it's something that in our system is sometimes I have to explain to people that you know Wales and Scotland and England and Northern Ireland to have different systems and it's crazy really, isn't it? <clears throat> but interesting. So you've made the transition. So Jamie, tell people a little bit about your journey. Because when I first met you, I actually have seen you teach You're one of the few guests we've had where I've seen you in a lesson. <laughs> um, up in Cramington Learning Village in 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 up, up on the northeast. But you've moved since then. So where are you working at the moment? Um,
2: yes, I can't, yeah, I hope that was an okay lesson, Tom. I didn't oh, say now, you'll be able to like, well, actually. <laughs> I, I can give you a few it, pointers if uh, you want. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> a whole new yeah. format, Tom's lesson feedback. Saying, I've still got <laughs> my notes. <laughs> just tell me how
2: bad the lesson was. Um, yeah, so I, I started teaching in um, central London. Um, I did five years in London and then i did um about 4 years teaching in cramerton in the northeast and then about about 4 years in 3 years in scotland sorry rather so um yeah kind of a transition of the uk which has been a really interesting journey um and i feel very lucky because you you get a sort of sense of both systems and an understanding of both systems as well which has been really really useful
0: and you do i mean you you look I mean, I, I, f- I first came across you because of you being a kind of presence in the Twitter world that is kind of presenting a kind of a different sort of perspective to other people. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that. But you also do your own podcast as well. So you interviewed <laughs> me uh, for the sort of tips and stuff. So what's, what, what's your, tell us a little bit about your podcasting uh, process at the moment. What, what, what are you working on there?
2: Yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, So I started, uh, I basically moved into teacher education um, this year. So I left the classroom in August and started a a brand new teacher training year at Napier University in the wonderful city of Edinburgh. And to support that work, I I started a podcast, which you've both kindly been guests on and been fantastic (laughs) guests on, um, which is called uh, Beyond Survival, the New Teacher Podcast. And the idea with that really is to look at the holistic nature of teacher development for new teachers, because I think it's a really, really stressful and demanding year. So the interviews range from, you know, the classroom. So Tom did a brilliant one about questioning and how to approach that in the classroom to more holistic stuff like Emma did a fantastic episode on boundaries and work-life balance. And hopefully the idea is that it's a useful space for new teachers every week to pop on and not be overwhelmed with lots and lots of advice, but just to get them thinking about certain aspects of the teacher
0: life, as it were. That's so important to have that in a, in a teaching programme. So, so you now are sort of a te- training teachers rather than students. And uh, is, that, is that a good transition? Are you, are you enjoying that world?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's a really
0: interesting one,
2: and I think I said this to Emma as well, um, that I do miss, I miss the classroom and I miss the magic of young people and you know, all the amazing stuff you get with that. But I also, you know, I find it's a real, you know, it is a real privilege to work with teachers at the start of their career and to try and give them the very best start as possible into making the transition into teaching. Because I've always believed really passionately that those first five years of a teacher's career are absolutely integral, and that we've got a real sort of duty of care as a profession to give them the best possible opportunity to thrive in that career. So for me, although I am focused obviously on the initial education year, one of the reasons for the podcast and for the books that we're writing things like that is about let's look at it as a journey of those first five years and let's continue that support all the way through so that new teachers aren't just thrown into school. And, and I think England's doing some brilliant, brilliant work on this now with the new early career framework to provide that scaffolding. And I think it's something we in Scotland need to look at really, really carefully because the quality of the mentoring, the coaching, the conversations that new teachers have, and the support they get in schools, I think is absolutely integral.
1: You're absolutely right, Jamie. Because and about the privilege of working with early career teachers, it is some of my favourite work that I do, because you can be the person that gets that new professional to absolutely fall in love with this job (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. or you can be the one that makes them completely despise it and think that that it's not for them and it's a real joy to kind of take metaphorically people by the hand and go come on in it's brilliant it's amazing Mm -hmm. come come and find out the good bits of this job And, and and i don't mean make it easy for early career teachers but provide such robust structures and support and mechanisms for the for them to develop that it feels easier that's that's I think yes. working with early career teachers you don't want to say that it's an easy job it's not an easy job but you want to make their entrance to the profession easier for them to realize how great the job is
2: yes and you use the word joy there Emma and I think that's such a such an important one because there's the narrative of the negative so much about teaching you know and And I think the way, for me now, one of my big driving ambitions is to actually get more people into teaching, to really, really talk up this stuff about how joyful it can be and how amazing being in a classroom of 30 different characters really, really can be, you know, and and all the wonderful stuff that I think sometimes gets a little bit lost um, because that's what will excite people. And that positivity and enthusiasm you've just shown in that little example there, come of let's talk about this and let's focus on some of that positive stuff as well. Yeah. A really and in primary point.
1: especially, there is no job in the world where you can go from a handstand to algebra to playing rounders <laughs> to stinging an assembly <laughs> to, to, to dropping helicopter twirly things off a chair in the afternoon. There is no job like a primary <laughs> school teacher either. It is pure joy a lot of the time. Was that classroom. one of
2: your classroom days, Emma? That sounds like we've that, got a window in yeah. your classroom there.
1: Or before playtime.
2: Amazing. Oh, my God. Is,
1: that, that's the side of teaching that's never put forward, that actually you just have yeah. a really good time a lot of the time, surrounded by excited, enthusiastic young people who want to get to grips with all these wonderful things you're showing them. And we don't talk enough, I don't think, about... The fact that you can just have the best time with, with young people in a classroom, especially in primary, can't talk about secondary, but definitely with primary, it's just an absolute joy sometimes to be around.
0: I think, you can. I, I think one of the, I think what's interesting is that what, what you define as having a good time is up to kind of, up to you. I think one of the issues is that I like like for me, having a good time is kind of nerding it out about, you know gravitational potential wells, or something, you know, and, um, you know, and aspects of quantum, <laughs> quantum theory or, you know, like particle physics or something, astronomy. And I love all that. And uh, I used to have the student, he used to stop me after lesson and, and he would, he was obsessed by materials and he wanted to go into the army and stuff. So he was, he really was interested in bulletproof vests. And he would say, sir, have you heard about the new, uh, the new development with the new Kevlar? apparently it's really awesome and you know it can take up to certain velocity bullets and he was like, like <laughs> for him he was like and i wasn't that interested in kevlar but i needed to be for him so it was like i'd stay behind after and talk to him about kevlar like just to be his his sound bu- sounding board and it's like to me that is you know what i mean like so it's not all like show jazz hands yeah yeah, it.
2: No, it can yeah. Just, i know what
0: you mean that's just yeah. sort of the um and I, but that's that's interesting. Now, I, one of the things I think is that you, you you bring to this whole thing, and I think I would say, I think it's quite an important contribution because I think it's not represented by enough people. And so you have this sort of whole kind of groove of p- representing a kind of a different side to people and teachers, which is the, the kind of not the showboating, loud, loud, um, loud, no. stop oh. looking
1: at me when you say that
0: Tom stop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 book, the first the book this book slow teaching on finding calm clarity and impact in the classroom and, and, and that was the kind of how you, you identified yourself when you were initially on Twitter through that whole thing and I, I just think it's full of so many really interesting sort of challenges to what what it is to be a teacher and that that thing of like grinding through and everything being in a hurry and a rush. and then another book obviously about a quiet education that's more about students and so this is so interesting. So to me, both of the quiet and the slow and those are not words that you associate with the kind of frenetic world of teaching and busyness and getting on with it and na nah, nah, nah. it's just like it's so refreshing. so what where does that come from? why, where, why are those sorts of themes so important to you? Ooh, what a great question.
2: Um, I'll maybe start with, with slow because um, I always find that for me, kind of the process of writing is almost like a, a process of therapy fundamentally because you're working through something. Um, and I, I actually, my kind of start to teaching was a bit bizarre because I did two years in the school and then I was promoted to a, an assistant head teacher and I had lots and lots of responsibility lots and lots of kind of money, lots and lots of authority. But I was moving about 100 miles an hour and I was working about 100 hours a week. I was working all the time. And I just totally and utterly burnt out, you know, completely burnt out. And I kind of had to start again. And I had to, I left the school because it was ultimately a fairly toxic environment. And I left the school and I moved up to, Cramington, a brilliant school in the Northeast. But I, I found I took that toxic mindset and those toxic behaviours into Cramington in the sense that I couldn't slow myself down. I was still moving 100 miles an hour. I was still very fixated on lots of negative things about micromanagement and all the things that were represented in the management in that school. So that's when I started the blog, Kind of Slow Teaching, because I wanted to fundamentally slow down and start again as a classroom teacher and recognize all the wonderful positive things about teaching that we talked a little bit about already. And also, as a human being, just learn how to slow myself down and manage those kind of feelings of anxiety and stress that was bringing from that environment. Um, excuse me, And then the book, I think, Fundamentally, was just about, well, let's apply that slow lens into as many things to do with teaching as possible. And I found that, you know, it relates to all aspects, even things like communication in the classroom. If you slow down the way you communicate and you really accentuate how you're talking or how you're explaining a concept, Young people kind of lean in and listen, and it improves the quality of learning. And I tried to take that approach into working with new teachers, and thinking about you know I always use the the kind of fable, the tortoise and the hare. And there's lots of tortoises, there's lots of hares rather in schools. And when I trained to teach, that was the dialogue, you know, rapid fast-paced, outstanding lessons. (laughs) And my school in London, actually, you had to submit lesson plans on a daily basis that were checked by management. But it meant that you became very, very obsessed with the individual lesson focus and you never looked holistically at what you were doing. And my argument in the book is trying to break it all down and have that long lens to what you're doing in education rather than the short-termism the fast pace, and if you do that fundamentally you're a calmer teacher and you can improve the impact of what you're doing in the classroom if that makes any sense
1: yeah and it's really interesting you said about the outstanding teaching outstanding school because I was working with a, a school that was an judged to be an outstanding school and it sounded very much like you're saying rapid 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 everything 100 bars an hour what can we do better what can we do better and I showed them this book and I said just have a little read Read slow. this is a very good book have a look at slow teaching it was like I dropped a bomb in the middle of the school and it was like kind of radio silence for about two weeks and they came back and went this has totally changed the way that we looked at everything and they're still an outstanding school now but they are a very different outstanding school now because of the way that they work they're not at that kind of frenetic short-termism pace it's actually about deep deeply embedded well thought through slow and steady wins the race kind of approach and but I remember giving them the book and it was I didn't hear from them for a couple of weeks <laughs> what <have> i done <laughs> and it was it was actually complete and transformative for that school because they it totally flipped everything that they knew well I don't say they knew but everything they believed was right on its head and and they've come at it from a completely different angle now so you have definitely completely transformed an entire
0: school with that book
2: there you go. Oh wow. Well that's so lovely to hear. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's really, really that's great.
0: You're listening to Mind the Gap, presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or Johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. <laughs> do, you think the practice, do you think, I mean, literally, do you feel like that That kind of slowness of the communication? Because I think there's something really in that, that kind of, that sort of considered, thoughtful, well-paced, you know, exposition, and which is allowing students to think as you're talking, because it's slow enough, and then allows you to pick it up now. That to me just sounds really, really wonderful because, I mean, I see a lot of lessons where it doesn't feel like that, where it feels like the kids are sort of like, you know, like hanging on to the, the thing as it's driving mm. out of the view and they just are barely, barely holding on by the fingertips. And when I talk to teachers about this, is what people say. Like I mean, For me, it will be something like, you know, checking for understanding and cold calling and questioning. They'll say the problem is that it slows the lesson down and I'm worried about, I won't cover the curriculum. And so there's this feeling that they need to crack on. But what you're saying is that it pays off in the end if you take it more slowly, Is is that what you're saying?
2: Definitely, yeah, absolutely. I think the idea behind it is that if you move through everything with that rapid pace and that kind of kids trying to hang on, nothing sticks. You know, you're just you're just running through things for the sake of running through things, and everybody's anxiety grows in that kind of environment. So young people's anxiety grows because they're kind of thinking, Ooh. and but if you do it in that measured way, ultimately what will happen is over time you develop the skills, the confidence, and then you know, for us as secondary teachers, obviously attainment exams is at the back of the mind. It's curriculum. But if you plan it all out and you're strategic and you're slow in the way you're doing that process, I really do believe kids end up doing better. Because fundamentally as well, the more organized you are, the more strategic you are, the more you pass that on to young people and they're going with you on that journey as well.
1: And it's, I suppose it's about providing a bit of light and shade, isn't it? If you're constantly hmm. going at hundred miles an hour, you're just going to get completely dazzled. It's about having the confidence to step back and go, "Well, what do we think? Um, hmm. Where are yeah. where are we with this? Uh, let's let's give it some time to kind of to, to ruminate <laughs> on this yeah, for a while."
2: Totally. And I think the important thing is, it's, you know, I'm not suggesting that we all suddenly become like sort of monks and or tortoises <laughs> in a classroom. And I and obviously you know there's there's the the place for fast discussion and and when you get really really excited by something you're not going to do that in a very slow measured way you're going to like when I talk about poetry because I'm a bit of a you know to link with what Tom was talking earlier about and um, I get really really enthusiastic about poetry and I start ranting about poetry and the kids are probably thinking but there needs to be variation in there in all aspects of teaching but. I think that point you're making there, Emma, is you need to give the space for the reflection, for the thinking, for the cognitive processing that is about individual work as well. And I think that's why silence, there's almost like a fear of silence sometimes in lessons. And I see it a lot with the new teachers I'm working with. don't want to leave any space. But for everybody, space is incredibly important. Like when you ask, and Tom talked about this on the, the podcast interview but when you ask a question you've got to let it linger a little bit because you've got to let people think and even more so when you hear a response a student's fantastic response and then you let it linger in the room so that everybody's savoring and everybody's thinking about it and also not seeing silence as a punishment you know how many times do we hear you know (laughs) a teacher ranting about i'm gonna make you work in silence for the next 10 minutes Whereas really that should be like a kind of sacred silent moment, like a golden silent moment where they can work for five, 10 minutes oh, I, in an love, atmosphere that's really thoughtful.
0: I love that. I mean, it's it's actually one of the, um, I once, I once went to um, a, a training day and where well, this the school, the school, i have been looking at my book, the learning rainforest. And one of the uh, things I talk about there is gold silence is golden. And, they picked that up as the thing they've been working on. It was for like This teacher was like a year two teacher. She said, it says fantastic. We call it golden silence. And she just said it was having the confidence that someone was sort of saying, try this. And so she said, it's great. And, I, and I've always found that great. You just say, okay, guys, we're going to have 10, 10 delicious minutes of total silence. And it's like, when <laughs> you're in that moment and like sometimes teachers are, are terrible, they'll, They'll go, oh, lots of lovely silent working, guys. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. But it wasn't until you started talking. Yes. <laughs> you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to be part of the silence. <laughs> <It's> delicious.
1: <sighs> uh, do you know what? It's made me think of my mum did a flower arranging course with the WI, which tells you a lot. Her. Um, but one of the things that she was saying was that she, apparently in flower arranging, I did not know this. The best flower arrangements are the ones where you leave gaps between the flowers. A good flower arrangement, you should be able to see every single flower. When they're all like lumped together, you can't appreciate the beauty of each bloom. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about that, about how the importance of letting a question linger or a learning point linger so you can see it without it being kind of squashed into the next one or crammed in with everything else you need to stop and see the space around it and see what it looks like a little bit like my mother's flower arrangement
2: <laughs> oh, i love that emma that's not that, i'm stealing <laughs> that because i've probably tom sorry i've probably stolen golden silence from you seeing as i've been sort of fan-fitting on you for years and years and years so no I, uh, I, i'm gonna steal that one now emma i love that that's
1: brilliant The flower <laughs> <entrance. Right. laughs> i think
0: we all steal from each other um the, the The origin of um, these ideas is probably um. This, it, I was making a joke about this on Twitter when someone was trying to work out the origin of the phrase um. um what you permit, you promote, and I I, I reckon it's probably. I, I, I think people traced it back to Doug Lamov, but he just thought it wasn't his someone, and so I reckon it's probably like when you tr- translate the Rosetta Stone, it probably has these little truisms mm-hmm. like. Silence is golden. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> this is a nice little segue, Tom, for what I was going to mention because you mentioned behaviour there. But there's yeah. a lovely chapter title in a Jamie's slow teaching book and I've never seen behaviour described In this, you call it serene and stoical behavior management, and I've never heard behavior management described as serene and stoical. So, I I just really want to hear what your kind of expansion on that would be because behavior seems to be quite so, it's always quite a noisy conversation. So, it's really nice to hear it described as serene and stoical.
2: I feel I've got a lot to live up to after that alliteration there, (laughs) Eva, serene and (laughs) stoical. Um, Well, I'm a big fan of kind of historical philosophy. So, you know, Marcus Aurelius, all that sort of stuff, which fundamentally the whole principle is about mastering your own emotions. And, you know, there's no denying that behaviour management in the classroom is a deeply emotional process. And my argument in that chapter is that if you want to achieve serene, calm, Measured behavior management. It's a, a lot to do with your own self awareness and being able to calm yourself in that environment. Because the most powerful and amazing teachers I've seen have got that aura that is partly to do with kind of assertiveness and authority, but also it's about a, a persona that's, that's calm and unruffled. Unruff- and Young people kind of get the impression that they can't really wind them up if that makes sense. I think as soon as young people know that they can you know they can get you a little bit riled, they have a fantastic time, and they push the buttons and push the buttons. But if you can be somebody that is you know and I, and I say it's very easy for me to say this, but it's much harder to do in practice but sort of detach yourself a little bit. I always like the phrase sort of watching from the balcony. And watching yourself in terms of how you're dealing with that young person because if i talk particularly about teenagers and i find the whole research into the teenage brain and how teenagers behave and the kind of volatility of that you know the fact that they can be up and down and react incredibly emotionally to situations but if you can be the person who is very very calm very very clear follows policies follows ways schools are doing things but doesn't give away your inner emotional landscape i think that can be a really powerful way to own a classroom space and manage a classroom environment and oh keep God, things can, can you just as come back as well.
0: to, to meet me in 1994 to have a word with me <laughs> <laughs> I do back then <laughs> I can't like emotional <laughs> <laughs> honestly seriously i mean and you, you know you're, you're so great at this and you're one of these people that there's a few people who i feel like really really get this right that you know behavior management is an emotional business and managing your emotions isn't about sort of you know pretending to be something you're not but there is something about you know centeredness and calmness and use you know some kind of inner strength I, i'm not sure if stoicism is is how it feels at the time but i needed someone like you to tap me on the shoulder when i was younger and say for god's sake you know just you know step back a minute and and process what's happening and be the calm anchor at the classroom rather than the fuel to the flames and winding everyone up even more with your <laughs> over the top you know shouting and uh, I just found it incredibly hard. I was so triggered by, like, defiant behaviours that um I found it incredibly stressful. And then it was just becoming a cycle of, you know, that's like going, I mean, like, I was I was one of those people that would run after kids down the corridor, corridor and stuff, you know, like, rather than thinking, that's not probably the best idea. <laughs> you think it's, it's sort of, but then, you know, but, you, but is it something you can learn to do then? So do you think you could have counselled c- me and said, but you can it's not your natural persona, perhaps, but but you can learn to be that sort of calm center point. And are there ways that you can learn to do that?
2: I think so. And I think it's a really good point, Tom. I think again, I talked about writing process being a little bit therapeutic. And when I was teaching in central London, I was kind of bollocking kids left, right, and center, and I was that person <laughs> who was kind of testosterone levels and oh, and and it just wasn't working. And that's why I think the well-being conversation is really important. Because if you are working yourself to the bone and it's all teaching, it's all education, and you're you don't have a balance in your life, you're much more inclined to be that non-cam person in the classroom because you don't have kind of a life outside it, if that makes sense. But I also think, you know, I'm 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 a kind of running obsessive and I run all the time and I've trained for running for years and years and years and I like applying that approach to sort of you know really useful and helpful human qualities so I think being a calm person for example is a really useful human quality so it's something I try to kind of cultivate and work towards and and I think you can do that as a person in the classroom And there's all sorts of tricks you can do to to help with that. You know, even breathe, even the way you breathe in the classroom can help to make you feel a little bit calmer and the way you step back from a situation and pause, you know, all the slow stuff we've been talking about already. But if you can do that in the heat of the moment, then you're more likely to deal with it in a calmer way. But I'm not saying I'm I'm particularly good at it. I just think it's a a long-term aim to try and achieve these things, because then you'll be more effective in the classroom and hopefully you'll be more relaxed. But to come back to Emma's point about you know the joy and the laughter, I think classrooms that have that joy and the laughter, whether it's you know the cartwheels, the assemblies, the, the fantastic stuff, or you know, Tom's point about just geeking out about the beauty of our subjects, then the more you've got of that, the less you have of the conflict as well. So it's
0: manning all those approaches, I think. Mm. Can I just check was it you doing the cartwheels? Well,
1: at the beginning <laughs> of my career, when I was an NQT, yes, and then there was a horrible year. Amazing. realised my demonstrations in gymnastics had to be taken over now by a more competent, younger gymnast than myself. It was a very, it was a very big climb down that day, realising I couldn't do the gymnastics anymore. <laughs>
0: that's fantastic
1: i i wanted to ask jamie about your quiet education book because again i i gave this book a copy of this book to a colleague and it was a colleague who's a fantastic class teacher and was just starting out on her journey into leadership and she said i can't be a leadership can't be a leader because i'm really introverted and i said aha (laughs) i have the book for you and she read it and she came back and she said I didn't realize this was allowed (laughs) she said I didn't realize that I could be successful in leadership when a a different way and it totally changed her perception of how she should uh, how she could lead how she should lead um she's now got this amazing senior leadership job abroad doing all manner of wonderful things um I'd like to credit <laughs> that to, 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 to your book but she genuinely had like an epiphany when she read it like there is another way so I kind of wanted you to, to explain because it's such an important book as well this this idea of introvert extrovert and the extrovert ideal.
2: Well first of all I need to get you on the payroll not the <laughs> payroll from these books unless <laughs> unless you unless you guys imagine not the payroll is passive for these books but I need you on the payroll and I need you to do motivational speeches to me every morning where you talk about how my (laughs) ramblings might have a positive impact on somebody else. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that, Emma. Thank you. Um, So, again, uh, you know, uh, I am the world's biggest introvert. You know, I, I kind of thrive on what I see as the definition of introversion, which is needing a little bit of, your own space, your own time to recharge, to turn inwards, which is the kind of Latin for introversion, basically to turn inwards. An extroversion, and you know, my, my wife is the world's biggest extrovert. So she's very gregarious, she you know, likes to chat all the time. So um so there's the introvert, there's the extrovert. And I think often in education. It's, it is geared towards that extroversion ideal. And we've talked about it a little bit in terms of the classroom space, you know, the noise of the classroom, the constant dialogue, the group work, and this kind of conveyor belt of moving to a different loud environment if you think about the secondary context. Um, and my argument with the book was that, you know, first of all, teaching itself doesn't always need to be Extroverted. You know, we talked about it the scope for silence, scope for individual work, scope for giving space for genuine thinking and encouraging young people to turn inwards. But also, I was really focused on introverted children and introverted teachers because I always find that introvert is kind of combined with I can like the word but, you know, for example, parents' evening. Billy's a lovely boy, but. He's very, very quiet. And I actually think the qualities that come with quiet can be really, really important and powerful for young people. And if we think about self-esteem of young people, we need to celebrate some of those quiet qualities. And that's why that example you've given there, of that teacher who's now the leader, Emma, means such a lot to me because I had so many teachers contacting me saying, I could never be a leader. I'm too quiet. But fundamentally, I, I really passionate believe two things. First of all, all classroom teachers in them in are leaders. You know, you're managing a, a class of 30 individuals. But also, I think introverted individuals can be incredibly powerful leaders because they don't feel like they need to dominate the space. They don't feel like they need to be the one who talks the most in a meeting. And I think they can have incredibly thoughtful interpersonal skills and also have these incredible knowledge bases about you know for example in education about teaching but they don't share them as quickly or as vocally as some of the extroverted fellow teachers might do.
0: I, I think that's brilliant you know and again uh, such a fresh perspective and I feel like you're right, and I and I, and I, and I it, sometimes there are sort of misconceptions about people because I feel like I'm extroverted to some extent. But you know, if I go into a crowded room, I just want to walk back out again, and you know, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't like being surrounded by people, and it's I find it challenging. Um, so they're, they're different dimensions, aren't they? So it's sort of you can over sort of stereotype people. Um, yes, but one of the things I, I find really interesting is this is the dynamics of groups so I I I observe this all the time with teacher training and working with teams in schools and how bad people are at doing this it's not in our culture to manage adults in structured ways to allow everyone to have a voice it's just it's done quite poorly so you just have you know eight people around the table two people Dominate three or two, two or three others are chipping in, and then there are three people who are who can be entirely silent for the entire period of that grouping because no one ever invites them in, and they never think it's worth like the hassle or the to get out of their their comfort space to say to 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 punch in, and and I think we should be much more as as professionals, and and I've started doing this myself because I've noticed it is. Is to try to model this. And so, because I I I can sort of come in as the outsider usually and I just say, So let's have a discussion, everybody. Um, like let's quickly pair up. And I sort of find like I, I'm introducing the structure and going, let's all pair up. Everyone have a think about this, and then we'll and then every single pair of adults is talking, and then I can draw on the person and say, so. Safia and John, what you what were your what were your thoughts? And John might be someone who's quite introverted and wouldn't normally have said anything, but then he's sharing his thoughts and he's brought into the conversation. And I feel like that type of thing is I, I think it sort of ought to be more prevalent, don't you think? Like to get to allow people to share without them that needing to, I don't know, compete with the more dominant people.
2: Yeah, that's such a great example, Tom Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I think that. You know, having interviewed and spoken to lots and lots of introverted teachers or children, none of them ever says, "I don't think you know contributing is important," or "I don't think dialogue is important," or "I don't think speaking is important." We all recognise and know that to have a voice and to contribute is important. But you're right in the sense of how do we scaffold it and how do we enable introverted you know teachers, introverted young people to have that confidence to share and those examples you've given there are brilliant and I even think that how because I am that person you know in staff meetings I will say literally most of the time hardly anything at all unless you know you do things like ask you know how often do we just genuinely in a discussion turn around to somebody else and say I'm really interested to hear your opinion on this and that's such a to have to be the recipient of that is really powerful because actually you feel valued and you feel seen. And there's so many young people in particular in classrooms who sort of ghost through the school day and don't aren't the people who get that. You know, I'd be really interested.
0: Well, don't I'd give me a minute
2: to think about it and then come back.
0: So Emma, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> just, beautifully thinking, done
1: i've written down ghost done. through the day <laughs> Which but okay. i was just thinking about little strategies that you that you use with children that potentially you also use with adults but you don't necessarily realize you're doing it like you know in a class where you've got children who aren't happy to sort of contribute in the whole group you you might have spoken to them earlier in the day so you know when I was speaking to Jenny earlier she said the most amazing point which was this so you bring in their idea and you champion them which hopefully would give them the confidence and I was just thinking reflect on when I was in staff meetings and sometimes you would say you know I was talking to Ella earlier today who made the great point about such a thing and and it's it's sometimes it's about championing people's ideas and voices if they're not willing to necessarily share them in the big group, but making sure that their their views and their uh, thoughts are represented, even if they're not sort of confident enough, especially if they're a small child to sort of stand up and say it to everybody necessarily, but it's it's being conscious of whose voices you're listening to as well, either as the classroom teacher. Or as the leader, so who who dominates the discussion? Who dominates um, everything? And, and can you weave in other people's points of view? And how you do that? I've just gone off on a little thing about thinking about can you which bits about children can you translate to working with adults as well?
2: Yeah, nice. it makes such a lot of sense though, and I think what you've said there, man, I I love this analogy and the, the the way you were using your body there as well because it, I think it's like all brilliant teachers have got an amazing antenna that they scope and span a room with. And they're, they're attuned to the different individuals in there. And they're attuned to what will, what will work and what will motivate that individual. And it's brilliant interpersonal skills and in communication that make those fantastic teachers that recognise that Billy might not initially want to shout out his ideas, but they'll be bubbling away in his mind. And then how can you find a way to sensitively either help him to do it or... Him to work with a partner, and then them both to summarise it. It's just enabling people. And whenever you ask people, you know, who is your favourite teacher? Who do you remember as a teacher? I always find that answer about you know somebody who actually saw me as an individual is so common, mm. and that's just powerful
0: and important interpersonal skills. And that can mean I, mean I get into these debates a lot about questioning techniques and whether or not you know do you have do you have the right as a student to just sort of sit and think without needing to volunteer your answer to the class just because the teacher has asked you? And I sort of feel like, I mean, I'm personally a bit challenged with that because I sort of think, unless you tell me a bit about what you're thinking, how will how I know? And therefore, how do I know how to help you? So I feel like if you're going to be in my class, we need some kind of relationship where you need to help me to teach you. And sitting there sort of in your own yeah. space Um you know, it's not like you don't have the right to do that, but it's just, you know what I mean? So I feel like I might be a bit on the pushy side on that side, but you might be thinking, no, like, let let kids be. And I don't know. So what's your view of that? Do you think children can have that right to just sort of be self-contained and not feel like they can have to participate in that way all the time?
2: I think there's a brilliant balance, Tom. And I actually, I remember I asked you this on the podcast because you've been talking about cold calling. And I and I sort of said, well, what, what do you do with cold calling if you're a, really introverted quiet child and I don't believe and it comes back to the point I made that no young person or or teacher I spoke to said I don't believe taking part is important or speaking is important or those skills are important as an adult so you have to try and cultivate them and develop them and you answered the question brilliantly Tom because you said well you look at all the other strategies you can use to help scaffold that young person's response and you know if Billy's an introverted individual, you don't pounce on Billy. You don't ask a question and They go, Billy, what do you think? Because that might be his only interaction of the day and he might freeze and panic. And then his self-esteem is taken a battering. him. Instead, you give Billy the opportunity to speak to Charlene, have a little conversation, give him 30 seconds, and then somebody summarizes it. Or you use, and you know the brilliant strategy, we've got mini whiteboards and you say, write everybody, write down your ideas. I can't wait to hear them. But what that is, is that's scripting it and that's rehearsing it for Billy and then Billy can share his idea. So I almost feel like if, if we know we've got an introverted child and we just ignore them, we're kind of giving up on them in a way. Mm-hmm. We're not helping them to see ways in which they can share their voice and they can build their self-esteem. Because there's no point in just being locked in your own mind. You have to find ways to help them share yeah. things.
1: I'm just thinking it's it's otherwise they're just passengers. They're just passengers yeah, exactly. in your lesson. And what you want is you want them to be a travelling companion as you go along. What do you think? What yes. do you think? Well, don't, Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. That's amazing. Rather than just being kind of driving this lesson along with 30 passengers sitting behind you, you want those students alongside you as your travelling companions as you go along. And unless yes. you have that yeah. kind of culture and of, of conversation about what this is what I can see this is what you can see this is what you think this is what I think you haven't got that kind of traveling companionship have you you just got thirty passengers sitting behind you as you trundle along through the lessons shape.
0: it just means you have to like, have lots of different avenues this is one of my one of the reasons why I'm a fan of occasional open response tasks and alternative ways to express ideas just as mm. in the mix and one of the the story I always tell about this which I feel illustrates the point is I want. I once had a student in my last school who was a year eight student. We, we were talking about natural selection and artificial selection. And I asked them to just sort of choose uh, uh, an animal and, and, and tell its kind of story. And she reported it in some form and she decided to make a video like a YouTuber. And she so she was a shy kid. And she made this video about eight minutes long of her explaining how dogs are all one species, but they've been bred into all these different forms. And she just had all these pictures that she brought up and she just talked at the camera for eight minutes straight. And I swear to God, I didn't know she, I didn't know she was as clever as she was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like literally everyone just clapped when she when they played the video because everyone's looking at her going, get go, get you. Like you know all this stuff. And she just talked to her in this animated way. She never did that in class. And I just thought, oh my God, thank God I'd seen this video because I know you better now than I ever would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I took I saw her a totally different light after that. So that sort of thing is like, you know, kids sort of, that, kind of, kind of sometimes suppress their natural selves in the kind of peer pressure environment. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to find ways for them to, to be themselves. And that was that was a, a great example. I'm I, I Looking at the time, we, 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 we're gonna to have to wrap it up soon. <laughs> have we even got time two, for you to two, tell two us two about two more little questions? i got two more little tiny questions
1: I <laughs> wanted to ask David. <laughs> Can ask you know them?
0: go quickly go for a rapid fire rapid rapid right this is not gonna be
2: slow then i don't know if i can have this Is, is there
1: such thing as an introverted extrovert
2: yeah yes and i think tom's point earlier about the fluidity of personality like i'm a massive introvert put me in a classroom in front of young people and i become an extrovert and i think there's a there's a real fluidity of our personality yeah definitely
1: and personally i think that a lot of teachers are introverted extroverts, and then that's yes. why they become so exhausted at the end of the day, because yes. they've literally yes. been, they're technically introverted, but they've been extrovert all day, and that's why they're shattered. My last yes. question, and I have to ask you this, because it relates to something you said at the beginning, what's your favourite poem?
2: What's my favourite poem? Oh, wow, what a question. Um, <laughs> I want
1: you to finish oh, in I'm an animated go... way, you <laughs>
2: I'm going to go with uh, in no oh, no I'm going to go with Invictus I'm uh, yeah I'm going to go with Invictus WHM Invictus which was um which is just an absolute belter and I would suggest to listeners go away and read it it's amazing I'm the captain of my ship Oh, inspiration
0: oh, wow that's that's it's stirring stuff so that- <laughs> Listen, we're going to have to get you on another time to to tell us how you talk to teenagers. But I know you've just written that book, um, sent it to to the publishers today, I think you said. So Mm. next year, I guess we'll see that hitting the stones and we'll we'll come to talk to you about that because let's face it, we all need need some advice for how to do that. I'd love to, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me
2: today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: It's it's, it's absolutely wonderful talking to you. And I feel like, um, you know, it's, Like I said earlier, I think your contribution and with these ideas is important. I think we don't talk about them enough. And I think the way you express them, uh, there's a sort of sincerity, but there's kind of, again, a sort of passion and joyfulness that comes through. Mm -hmm. So it's been great talking to you. So, look, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, Emma. Thanks to everyone listening in Australia, in America, all all around the UK. We're really thrilled to have so many listeners, and and the feedback we've been getting recently has been fantastic. Um, This has been uh, Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe, and we'll see you again really soon. Thank you and goodbye.
1: Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.